in the hood, you can't bump into someone and not say, my bad. Yeah, you um, step on someone's sneakers, you better run. The new sneakers? You better run. You especially better run if Especially if they're uh, some Uptowns, a.k.a. Air Force Ones, for people who don't know what Uptowns are. Yeah. Those originated in the hood. Yeah. But yeah, run for your life. Run for your life. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. You are now tuned into Trish Chat, a series that aims to normalize vulnerability through conversation. Our episodes promote meaningful dialogue around identity, culture, and real life stories. We are your hosts, Steph and Jess, and everything you'll hear in our episodes are based on personal experiences. Be sure to tune in every Monday to hear our latest episodes. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Trish Chat. My name is Steph and I am here with Jess. Again, I was going to do it. I was going to say, my name is Jess and I'm here with Steph. I hate when that happens. Hi, everyone. Um, We are still in uh, uh, self-isolation, physical distancing, quarantine. And it's been some interesting times. Definitely feel privileged to be able to um, shelter in place. Mm-hmm. at home with food to have the ability to be bored yeah what's it been like for you same <laughs> just same yeah i mean like there is that pressure of you know trying to pass the time with being quote-unquote productive but i think we talked about this before and that it's okay to just be and being bored's okay because I think a lot of things come out of being bored. I think creativity comes out of there. I think rest comes out of there. I think a lot of good can come out of it if you look at it that way. So, but yeah, it has been rough. I think mostly because, you know, I miss, I miss our friends and our family and being able to like hang and, and hug uh, them or see them. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen anyone in, a month. month probably more yeah but you know this is all for this is all what we need to do um this is doing our part as citizens and it seems like it's working uh numbers are flattening in in multiple states um i know new york is flattening here it's been pretty good in california yeah um i think we kind of got ahead of it because we shut down we were one of the first cities to shelter in place so San Francisco. Um, San Francisco. Yeah. yeah. So I think that that's definitely um, working in our in our favor right now. Yeah. So I think so. it also exposes a lot of privilege, right? Because the Bay Area um, is mostly tech, mm-hmm. and uh, a majority of people who are living in anywhere in the Bay Area are taking a shuttle that's provided by a tech company mm-hmm. to get to work. Tech companies were one of the first to say, you can work from home, or we strongly recommend that you work from home. So they were able to mitigate that. Places like New York, where there's so many industries and it relies so heavily on mass transportation, the subway is a breeding ground yeah, for like viral infections because it's so crammed. And you have people who can't stay home. You have people who are taking the subway now in New York because... Mm-hmm. their jobs don't allow them to to stay at home and you also you have i mean some days i'll say the best public transportation system other days i'll say the mta sucks but <laughs> you have a transportation system where people can live in the edge of queens and have a job in the bronx and get to it every day yeah but by subway yeah it's the most expansive for sure yeah. that i'm aware of um yeah it's two completely different cities. There are eight to close to nine million people living in New York compared to, I think it's it's definitely under a million in San Francisco. So, um, yeah, it's just been interesting. And uh, we were talking about this with some friends over a virtual chat the other day, but I think that COVID-19 has completely exposed so many companies big companies out there and how 
not only are people living paycheck to paycheck, but so are companies. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it's really the sad and interesting times. And, you know, my only hope is that, you know, we come out of this sooner than later. And, you know, I'm super hopeful. Um, so, yeah, we've been we've been following the rules and staying away from people. And I know Baxter's bored out of his mind. He's currently sleeping right next to Steph. But um, he's hopeful for better doggy days where he can go back to the park with his friends. Yeah, all the dogs that are outside, they're just like trying to lunge at each other. Like, what's up, homie? Let's play. <laughs> and, and we're all like, let's move away. Move yeah, away. For sure. So... Yeah, but lots of Netflixing. Um, I just started listening to Alicia Keys' book, More Myself, that Steph bought me. Thank you again. Um, okay. I'm halfway through. It's pretty good. Um, it actually makes me feel at home. I love Alicia Keys' voice. It's very New York. I'm from New York, and I don't know. It just it 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 brings me back to like where my heart is, and just hearing her talk about new york and riding the subway and like talking about the different neighborhoods and just you know bodegas and all that stuff it just i it really it really hits home so it's been it's been nice to hear her story i, I knew a little bit about her story but she goes in depth and she's also the one reading it and she has like a lot of different people reading it like michelle obama reads a little bit of a chapter that's amazing yeah um she has her father reading on there. So it's it's actually really nice. And it's been nice to be able to listen to that while I'm doing other things. Like I mentioned before, podcasts are really, um, they're a passion of mine. And like, I love listening to them. And so this kind of, you know, it is in the same bucket. So I can do a workout or I can clean up the house and listen to uh, the book at the same time. So that's been super nice. Nice. Yeah. But I guess speaking about different cities and neighborhoods, should we segue into our episode topic? Yeah. So for this episode, we're talking about growing up in the hood. Yeah. Um, For those of you who don't know what the hood means, um, it's a term that's used to just sometimes it's used to describe growing up in like um, public housing. Um, other times it's used to describe um, neighborhoods that predominantly have low income um, residents um, yeah. and it places that like this is my view of it places that like typically low income people of color were mm -hmm. residing in that nobody wanted to live in mm -hmm. and then others started coming in once the rent got too expensive and gentrified. So basically like inner city inner city places. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I think that that's pretty spot on um into how I would describe the hood. Yeah. Um so I want to talk a little bit about like what our childhood was like and to sh share with people where we grew up. So um I'll start. I grew up in Harlem and when I say to people I were like, oh, where'd you grow up? I'm like, I grew up in Harlem. And I always say before it was gentrified because mm -hmm. now people think of Harlem and they're like, oh my God, that cute little restaurant here and that cute little, you know, the Whole Foods and 125th. And that's not what it was when I was Wait, growing there's up. there's a Whole Foods on 125th? There's a Whole Foods on 125th. Oh, shit. And a Bed Bath & Beyond, I think. Damn. Um, but not on Broadway. It's like on that, on that strip of like going down avenues. You know, 125th, when you drive down to go across the avenues. Okay, like cross town go, towards going where to the Success east side. Academy was. Yeah, going yeah. towards the east side. Oh, shit. Okay. Um, so Harlem, Harlem has a lot of history. Harlem has always been beautiful, has always had a lot of like cultural gems. So I'm not saying this to say that Harlem was crap. But what I'm saying is that the way that people describe Harlem now is not mm -hmm what those of us who grew up there know it to be. So I know that Harlem is beautiful. I know that Harlem had like a lot of culture um, and whatnot, but I also grew up um, like in a neighborhood where um, there were drug dealers that would hang out in front of the building 
I saw two drug dealers get into a fight while I was going up the stairs. One of them beat up the other ones Jeez. while I was going up the stairs over some money. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like sometimes the schools would get um, briefings to say like, hey, you know, some of the gangs are out. Like tell mm -hmm. your kids not to wear this color yeah. to school tomorrow. Otherwise, you know, they're going to get their faces slashed. Like things, oh God, I remember that. things yeah. like that, like um, where you bump into someone and it's not like a, like I see people in San Francisco bump into people and they don't say anything. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, where did you grow up? Because first of all, you don't have manners. But second of all, where I grew up, if I bumped into somebody and didn't say anything, that could have gotten a f me a f into a fight. Yeah. And just to be clear for people who don't know where Harlem is, it's in New York City in Manhattan. In Manhattan. In Manhattan. Yeah. Some people who don't understand the boroughs, which I don't blame them if you've never been there. Uh, sometimes people think Harlem is a borough. It is not a borough. Um, Manhattan is the borough. Like, that's, and That's next to Manhattan, right? Yeah, it's in Manhattan. No, it's in there. Yeah. Right and, in where, there. and technically, what streets are Harlem? Do you know? I don't know. Um, I think it's... Because there's there's also Morningside Heights. Yeah. I think it... I don't want to quote it. It starts it's in like, like the one, 120? Yeah. 120? Like, let's say 125th to like 150... Five one fifty fifth, because it, it's very like it's it's, it's and a then few streets and then you turn into the heights. It, it blends, and then you get into Inwood after the heights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just wanted to throw that in there. But continue. So, um, so yeah. So I think, um, obviously, I, I so I'm I'm a, a a female, and so my parents approached me growing like the way that they raised me differently than how I saw um, um, parents raising their sons um, growing up in the hood. My parents mentioned several times, like, not that I was, you know, having sex at a young age or anything like that, but I just remember them mentioning several times, like, and don't be getting pregnant and don't this and don't that, because that, that was the trajectory is that your parents said that to you? Girls would, they had, they didn't say it like directly like to me, but they had spoken. Uh, it was like, it wasn't unspoken. It was, it was. They insinuated. Like, yeah. 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 Hmm. Or they didn't say it directly to me, but they said it around me in a way where like, I felt, I felt the, you knew, I felt the heat from their words on the back of my neck. Yeah. 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 Um, but that, that's a trajectory that, that girls would follow is that mm -hmm. they, would get pregnant at a very young age and that changes your whole life right. in terms of what you're able to do. Um, and then for what I saw a lot of the the boys do is they ended up selling drugs, mm -hmm. um, getting into trouble. Um, some of them didn't grow up with fathers and who they saw as father figures were the guys that were in the front of the building who took care of them. They gave them some money. Mm -hmm. That's all they knew. Yeah. They gave them some money. They, they felt like that was loyalty family. Mm-hmm. And they got caught up in the, you know, in the system, in the system. Um, so I definitely saw like a difference in the way that girls and boys were raised um, in mm -hmm. the hood and that there was like a, a really big worry for guys mm -hmm. um, in the hood, especially when they got to be teenagers, mm -hmm. because there's always that fear that like you're going to you're going to get mixed up with a crowd that's going to lead you down the wrong path. Right. What was your childhood like? I would say it's pretty similar. I mean, with the exception that I lived in a cul-de-sac. Um, <laughs> a dead end. <laughs> AKA a dead end. Um, Side note for everyone. We were having, we were in Seattle. We were with our friends, Rose and Steph, who did an episode with us. Our best friends. On daddy issues. Mm -hmm. um, and... I was, we were talking about like goals and I remember I was walking right next to Rose and I said, you know, I would love to like live in a house on a cul-de-sac. And Rose goes, I grew up in a cul-de-sac. They live on a dead end. Mm. Okay. Don't take our dreams away. Come J on. Jess and Rose grew up right across the street Shade. from each other on the two buildings that were, it, it is a cul-de-sac. Yeah. It is. Only but there are stairs on the other end. So it's technically a dead end. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Um, so love you, Rose. I grew up in Washington Heights, which is like the Heights, a few neighborhoods over, I guess, the, you know, I guess, like I said, I don't know. I think it starts on like 158 
and then it goes up to 190 um and that's called washington heights um not wahi not wahi that's the gentrified term um and i too lived in washington heights before it got completely gentrified um i lived in a dead end on a dead end um cul-de-sac a cul-de-sac and yeah it was it was pretty similar i mean I I grew up knowing a lot of the drug dealers in my neighborhood. Um, I grew up knowing a lot of gang members. Um, I had a gun put to my head before. Um, I think I was 15 when that happened. Um, I've... You know, I've seen people, I've seen friends run from the police. I've seen friends arrested. Um, I saw the drug dealers out on the street. I saw the drug dealers in the building. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there there was just, everything was kind of out in the open. When they would go into the building behind the stairs. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I know what they're doing. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily... You know, it's uh, I for the most part felt relatively safe where I grew up, mostly because I knew the people there yeah. and like I don't know, when you're from somewhere, you kind of you have familiarity. Yeah, and it's like you're fearless in a yeah, sense. Yeah, it's the same guys who stand like yeah. in front of the building. It's and just like, that you don't see some for a couple months cuz they get, you know, put into the system. Mhm. But they they see you growing up. They know you, even if you don't ever talk to them, mm-hmm. that you see each other all the time. Yeah. And like one of those guys actually saved my life um, when I got a gun put to my head. Um, and that that's a story for another day. But like it, it was, you know, because it was in my neighborhood, because I knew people like they, they took care of each other. We took care of each other. Um, I will say, I think that and we'll get into this, but I think growing up where we did, it, it like forced us to grow up a little quicker in the sense that we kind of always had to be on. Let's our, talk about it. What are the, what were some of the challenges of growing up in the hood? I mean, I, I don't, I don't necessarily see these as challenges, but I mean, we can get into the challenges. Um, what I was going to say is that like, I feel like the street smarts that were developed by growing up in these areas have I think helped me as an adult and like navigating the world. Um, you know, growing up in these spaces, like you mentioned like your parents or parents would treat like the boys and the the girls differently. I grew up with a single mom. She didn't necessarily treat me any different. I think because I was the oldest. Um, I'm sure I had a curfew. I can't remember what my curfew was, but like, I grew up going to like apartment parties and um, I had access to like, if I wanted drugs, I could get drugs. If I yeah. wanted alcohol, I would know someone who could go get me alcohol. Like I started drinking at a very young age. Um, not that I was like drinking every weekend, but like, you know, you're young and stupid. You want to try things like I had access to that. And um I think the biggest worry for me was maybe, you know, walking late at night into different neighborhoods or streets that I didn't know the people that yeah, lived there. Like yeah. that even even a few years ago when we were back in New York, remember when Eddie and the boys lived like on the other side of the heights? Yeah. That was scary walking home from there to where we lived because I wasn't familiar with that. Like I had no familiarity with that territory. Yeah. Um and and we were adults, so that was kind of my biggest thing. And, you know, um, so that used to scare me a little bit. Um, and then, you know, growing up, I think this is specifically around New York city. Like we grew up taking the trains and I recall, I was telling you this the other day, like I used to take the train at like 3am from like Brooklyn. Yeah. Well, you, you have no other way because Unlike, you know, kids who are growing up in the suburbs or like you can call a parent to come pick you up in their car and stuff. A lot of people in New York don't have cars. A lot of people in New York don't even know how to drive because you don't need to. You can take the subway runs at all times of the night. Mm -hmm. You can take it. 
Um, you can take a cab if you want, but when you're in high school, you don't really have money like that. You're not going to take a cab from Brooklyn to the Heights. That's going to be like $80. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, that was scary. And I'm thinking about it now. It's like, I wouldn't do that now. Right. Like, but then I just remember seeing the craziest shit on the train at that time. Mm -hmm. Like what is a 15 year old kid doing, taking the train at that time? Right. Like, but that, that was the way we grew up. Like that's the norm for us. And, um, you know, luckily I went to junior high school a few blocks from, from home. Like that, that all was zoned as it normally is around the country. Um, but high school was different. Like I was 45 minutes away. How long did it take you to get 40 to 40 minutes. Yeah. Two so, trains. Damn. I, I had that, I lived that transfer life. <laughs> Take the one to 96 and transfer to the two, three. Wait, how long was the transfer on the Metro card? Like, is it within two hours and it counts as a transfer or did it count as a new ride? No, it would count as a transfer. It would count as a new ride if you pass a certain amount of time. Yeah. But I, I used to transfer right across the platform. Oh, got it. Got it. Um, didn't need to sweat my card again. Nice. Living my life. Living my best life. Yes, yes. Um, some people would have to like get out and walk to like a bus or a different train. Yeah. Um, that's why I asked. But anyway, so I would say it was relatively similar to you. And and I think like I wouldn't say those are like pros or cons. I couldn't categorize them, you know, because looking back, it's like I'm super grateful for how I grew up. Um but some other things like we grew up with, we didn't have pools, pools or anything. So we grew up with like the fire hydrants being oh open gosh, in the summer. That, that was like my was biggest fear. The there is, okay. People would look forward to summer. I despised it because I was like every day when I come home from work, I'm going to have to pick the best time to run into the building so that I don't get hosed down. Yeah. Well, you know what they used to do because I lived on a dead end. I had no fucking option, but to go like the route that I got the boys used to grab me and put me in the fucking water because they knew you. So they were just like, they would mess with you. So I'd be like, damn, either I wait till they're till like the fire department comes and closes it, which they reopen it right back after the fire department. Or I fucking run and hope that none of them see me. (laughs) I, uh, this was all summer long. So for those of you who there, um, what some, um, folks would do in neighborhoods in New York city is because there were not really any pools or the pools were like, they were public pools, but I don't know how well they were maintained. Mm-hmm. Um, um, some people in the neighborhood on the block would just open the fire hydrant, but it, it had a lot of water pressure because it's meant to use, to be used to put out fires. Mm-hmm. So there would be all this water gushing out and then they would have this little special, I don't know how people in the hood got this, but like they would all have this one special tube that they use to like direct the water wherever they wanted it to go. And so like a makeshift tool. Yeah. Like a hose. And so for me, the fire hydrant was a little bit, I can't remember if it was to the right or to the left. So the hose that they created would always hit the front door to my building. Yeah. My grandmother lived on the first floor. She couldn't have her window open during the summer. Oh yeah. That sucks. Yeah. I remember that. So like those were type of things that, that we would do. I mean, what we did for fun in, in the hood was like me and my best friend would go on walks to like the park or go to the, we lived um, on like one of the main strips in Washington Heights where there's a lot of shops. So we'd go like, Dominican shops. we'd go to shops, buy sh- sneakers or like whatever we would need. We'd pick up um, our boyfriends from summer school, AKA Rose's boyfriend from summer school. Um, and I played a lot of basketball. I played a lot of ball. Um, sports were big in my neighborhood. Um, everyone played like no matter what, and on the dead end on, on the cul-de-sac, the cul-de-sac. there was this like basketball at the cul-de-sac. There was this After like a nice w- spritzer of uh, fire hydrant water. <laughs> There's like this rectangular door opening to my building that they used to use as like uh, uh-huh. the strike zone. No, the strike uh-huh. zone when we'd play baseball. And so I would just like mess around and play there. Uh, and it's so small. You know, you know, the it's, dead end. Tiny. it's tiny. So like we'd be hitting cars. Somebody broke a window once because they hit the ball so hard uh, in Rose's building. But um, yeah, so those were kind of the... <laughs> That was the uh, the fun times in the hood. Um, this is not in the hood, but this was um, for people who grew up in not in a house in an apartment building. 
I went trick-or-treating inside the building. So I went from like the mm. first floor all the way up to the sixth floor and yeah. just like knocked on every door to um, trick-or-treat, which I remember talking to a coworker once and they were so confused. They were like, what? Like you didn't go trick-or-treating house by house? And I was yeah. like, there was not a house in sight. It was all buildings. Right, right. Yeah, that's a good point. And like I was bringing up sports, like the sports we played were basketball, baseball, soccer, whatever we could do in a park, in a yeah. small park. Um, the fire hydrant in the summer, people would go. People would go with their bathing suit <laughs> yeah, to the fire hydrant. They would. And just spend the whole day outside in the fire hydrant. They most definitely would. Yeah. And then... Um, Getting the, the cat calls. That, that's what I was going to bring up. I'm so glad. It's like we're in sync. I was literally thinking about like the different things that we'd have to experience. Yeah. Cat calling is a huge thing. In, in, at least in, in, in our hoods. Um, yeah. Every, every single day, at least once or twice. One of the, one of the, it wasn't, it typically wasn't one of the guys that would stand on like your block because they, they, they kind of saw you, they saw your parents, they saw your family. So they wouldn't say anything, but it was like when, when I would turn the corner onto Broadway to walk to the train, there was always one or two guys that would always say something like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that sort of stuff or damn girl. Um, yeah, and that I was actually, always very aggressive. I actually had for almost two years when I was in high school, there was one guy that would follow me from the train station all the way up until I got, I lived up a steep hill mm-hmm. to get home. So he would give up before I got to the hill and then I would just go up. It was almost every day he would just follow me, just just saying things and I would ignore him. Three blocks, two blocks from the train station to the bottom of the hill and then he would drop off and I would go up the hill. I mean, that's just a note of the amount of like harassment that women face from a very young age mm-hmm. i mean i remember that it was awful and I, and I remember saying when we first moved here and that wasn't kind of the like that wasn't happening i was like oh my god what what's going on this is not normal like yeah people are not catcalling yeah um but yeah that was huge especially on 181st street and broadway especially, just that whole fucking strip like Oh, it was awful. And then, you know, when you don't answer, it's like, oh. Some of, the, some of them get mad. They get really aggressive and start saying, like, really nasty stuff. And, like, yeah, it gets, it, it feels very unsafe. It can be scary. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that was, that was kind of uh, it in a gist. <laughs> I feel like we didn't say enough, like, pros, but it was, it was a good time. Well, I mean, let's talk about some of the, um, Let's talk about some of the challenges um, and how those have like manifested or how they show up now in our lives. And, you know, I, I can I can start with a with a few from me. Um, you know what? What I grew up in and what I saw a lot of people grew up in, I grew up in a predominantly Dominican and Puerto Rican. Um, like I grew up in Harlem, but um, where I lived was predominantly Dominican and Puerto Rican, um, and some Mexican. Um, and they were all people who had come to this country and they were working really fucking hard to support their families. And I don't think that anybody leaves their home country where they know people and they know their language for fun. Right. So these people left because they had to. Um, for a better future for their families or because they were um, they were running away from violence or persecution or whatever it may be. And I think that for, um, for at least my parents, them providing us with shelter, with food, with both of them being under the same roof with us um, and us never having to worry about clothing or food, um, or where we were going to live. That was, that was like amazing for them. And seeing us go to college was like, that was it for them. Like they're, 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 they're in their minds. It was like, we're set if we can do that. But I think oftentimes when parents raise their kids that way, and again, this is the best that they could do. And I'm so appreciative because I am the way that I am because of that. I think it enforces this level of like perfectionism in a child because, and and part of it is 
them instilling that in me, but part of it is also the, the responsibility that I felt where when you hear, you know, I don't know about you, but when I hear about the way that my parents grew up and how shitty it was and how they were treated, I'm just so grateful about the way that I grew up. But I also feel an immense, an immense, immense, immense responsibility to do way better than they did because I owe it to them to for the next generation to be to set for me to set them up to be way better because I, I owe that to my parents. So you feel this immense like weight on your shoulder that never really comes off and being be, growing up in the hood, you go into these workplaces, right? Like if you started doing internships early on in high school, whatever, and you interact with people, you start interacting with people who grew up different than you did. And when they see or they hear that you're from a particular area, and you're from Harlem, you're from the Heights, you know, you come from, you know, parents that, you know, came to this country, they don't really take you seriously. They kind of look at you like they feel bad for you. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, you're going to high school. That's amazing. <laughs> Your parents must be very proud. Yeah. And so you also feel this, one, anger, but two, you feel this um, pressure to be the best and to be extremely successful. To sh- to, It's kind of like a big middle finger to everybody to be like, fuck you, kids from the hood are extremely talented and smart. So there's the pressure of like building up the generations because of all the sacrifices that your parents made. And then there is the pressure of being the best because you want to showcase that like like people from people who grew up in the same circumstances that you grew up in are just as smart, they're just as special, they're just as capable, they're just as talented as anybody else. I agree. And then there's also, you also feel a sense of guilt because, you know, you, you grow up in the hood and you, and you, it's kind of like, as you get older, you see more and more people dwindle. You're like, okay, she got, she got pregnant at a young age. She dropped out of school. He went to jail. You know, now he's in the system and, you know, now his, his life has become more difficult. And you sort of feel this sense of guilt of, what did I do that I'm now here Mm -hmm. that I now live in San Francisco? I work at a tech company. Um, yeah. What did, what did I do? Like what, what was it? Like you, you sort of get into this mind fuck of like, what was the little droplet of something that I was given that other people were, and I don't mean that like somebody put something in my drink. I mean it like what, what was the formula that was used for me that, that like didn't work for other people. And again, we know that there's like structural inequalities. There's poverty. There's um, lack of access to good teachers um, in low income, in schools in low income neighborhoods. There is uh, all the policing that happens in um, low income neighborhoods where kids are put through the system when like they shouldn't be. So we know that there's all that stuff, but I I still get very curious where like outside of that, what was it? Yeah. That's so real. I feel that too. And I especially look at our guy friends, our guys that were men of color, and they're successful. And I'm like, what, what was different? Mm-hmm. What was different? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I think about that too. Yeah. So tell me now that I went on this rent, what were the, uh, yeah, I can relate to all of that. I think for me, you know, touching on, I touch on this in other episodes, but I think that some of the struggles for me looking back. Yeah. I think I didn't realize this then, but now I realize it is just like the education system. Oh, in the yeah. city. Like, and I want to make something clear. I think that I kind of get offended when people say that, you know, they can't raise kids in the city. 
because of the education. There are good schools in the city. But I also understand that a lot of those schools either cost money or they're in very gentrified neighborhoods that cannot be afforded. So, yeah, where you can't raise a family because of the rent. You're, you know, some people don't believe in charter schools. Some people, you know, there's lottery systems that you don't also, that don't necessarily work in your favor. So I just want to make that that note there. Um, but what I, what I will say is that I think that um, I went to pretty okay schools. Um, but the, um, the, the resources just weren't there, um, from teacher to student ratio. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, because of that, because of the lack of resources, um, <clears throat> because there were so many kids enrolled in, in our high school, Sp I'm talking specifically our high school, um, what was it? A thousand people per class. And, mm -hmm. you know, like our, our, our classrooms were pretty packed i would say there were like 30 kids in a classroom you know and and i don't think that high school prepared me the best for college i don't yeah, i no, wasn't no. the best writer i wasn't like the, i didn't have the fundamentals that i that i have now that i've worked really hard to learn because i wanted to again because these aren't things like these weren't things that they were like you have to get this right it was like okay you did okay move on you know, because they didn't have the, the, the time or the resources to give that attention to each student. The quote unquote happy schools where meeting the bare minimum is great. And so even the smartest kids there, when they go off and they venture into different schools, they're like, what, what the hell happened? Why am I getting C's? Right. Yeah, exactly. And so when I went into college, I was like a terrible writer. It was awful. Um I've since fixed that, but you know, it took a lot of effort and it took me to notice that and also want to fix that. Right. So I think that the schools, the education system, it just, it was such a, it, looking back, it's just such a struggle and how like, it doesn't set people up for success. Um, I think to function on a, on a, on a higher level within like the college or master space, um, so that's something I've noticed. Or even teach, um, you know, I hear about other kids learning like financial literary, literacy skills and mm -hmm. stuff like that in high school and how to budget and manage your money. And yeah, that's the thing we, now. We didn't learn that. We yeah. didn't learn that in, in public school. And that would have been a really amazing mm -hmm. thing to learn how to. I was going to say how to balance a checkbook. <laughs> But no yeah. one does that anymore. I mean, because but there, there's vir there's virtual ways to do that yeah. now, right? Like yeah. I I, ba I would say I balance my checkbook, but in, in a a digital way. How to budget? How to? Yeah. What you know? What ratio should you be using for savings? What sort of savings accounts are there? What mm -hmm. you know, saving up for your retirement? I've been working since I was. It was either fourteen or fifteen. I wish somebody would have told me at that age, like you should just set up a four hundred one k and just start, yeah, putting some money away in there. I didn't do that until I graduated college. Yeah, at at tw when I started working at twenty two. Right. That was, you know, eight years of four hundred one k, uh, savings that could have been put in, but I, I didn't know any better. Yeah, I agree. Which then segues into like the access access to being first generation like there was a lot weighing on us right mm -hmm. like we ha our our parents made this big sacrifice they're working their fucking asses off like to give us a better life and they did the best they could and i'm so grateful for that um but as first generation kids like trying to navigate these different systems out there like schools and careers like access to people and careers that exist were very minimum for mm -hmm. me. Like I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had some ideas, but even if I wanted to be a lawyer or a sports agent or an engineer, like I didn't have access to those people because my network was, you know, immigrants who were mm -hmm. trying to make ends meet for their families who were in different types of, um, I would say lower end type of jobs. And, you know, for, for my mom, she wanted me to, she wanted me to go to college. She wanted me to make money and to, um, be able to financially provide for myself. And so I was just trying to think of different things, but there was nobody I could talk to. I didn't have necessarily advisors who could really like mentor me mm -hmm. on a one-to-one -one basis and give me that attention to give me that guidance on 
401ks or loans, like even just thinking about loans and like the having to, I had to teach myself the differences between private loans and, yeah. and federal loans and like the interest rates and when they start accruing interest rates, because right. some started accruing right away. Some went, got it when the, it was, some are like when you, six months after variable you yeah. and like some are fixed and, you know, knowing those things would have helped me be in less debt. Knowing those things probably would have sent me to a different school. Um, maybe it would have given me more incentive to like look for scholarships. I am oh. immensely grateful for Dr. Powell. Now that you say that, sorry, go ahead. No, that's okay. Um, but yeah, so access to, to to all those things, I think that that was really hard, and I I I think that that's um, that's an issue aside from living in the hood. I think it's also being first gen. I think it's also being Linux. I yeah. also think it's many things that yeah. played into having access to that. Um, and, and the same with like sports. Like I, I wish that I had more access to different types of sports. Cause who knows? I could have played lacrosse Squash. or anything, you know, maybe I could have got a scholarship for any of that shit, you yeah. know, like, but you know, we were limited in that sense, living in the city. They were just kind of the main major sports. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, yeah, that guilt. I, I still live with that. I still, when I, when I go back home and I run into people or I see people that are on the street still and kind of doing the same thing, or I hear that like an old neighbor of mine is now in jail or they're no longer with us or yeah. whatever, they're on the street, they're homeless. Like that stuff kills me because I'm like, one, to your point, why did my future turn out so differently? Yeah. Is it my gender? Is it because of like my mom, like worked her ass off to make sure that I, you know, stayed on track? Was it, you know, what was it that like made our journey so differently, even though we grew up in the same place, same grade, same schools, similar backgrounds, all that. And then two, I feel an immense guilt about wanting to do something about it. Mm. Like I want to help. I want to help my community and, and provide them with resources or provide them with the funds to get them out of their situations, but I can't. And so I feel this helplessness. Um, just, it's awful. It's awful when like I look back on it or I, I'm back home and I see it. Um, so that's just like a constant struggle that, that I have. And it, it also just pushes me to like think deeper about like my passions and how I can, I can help my community. How can I do something to maybe, maybe I can't help them. Maybe I can't save them in like their situation, but what can I do that's going to benefit this next generation? How can I give back to like teach the things that like I wasn't taught yeah. Now that I have this information, can I teach people how to budget? Can I teach people about loans? Can I teach people how to pay off their debt? Can I do these things that are going to, it might seem small for some people, but can change someone's life. Mm -hmm. Or even just the college application process. So I said I was immensely grateful to Dr. Powell because um, I didn't even know what, I didn't even know about Dartmouth. And um, she was my AP US history teacher. And she was the one that was like, great. You're applying to these schools. Like where, where, where are some of your reach schools? Like what, what about Dartmouth? And I was like, okay, Dr. Powell says Dartmouth. I will apply to Dartmouth. She, she didn't go there. She went to Syracuse, right? I, I don't know that she went to Syracuse, but she, she knew a lot of people at mm -hmm. Syracuse. Um, and so I applied to Dartmouth and, and I got in and when I got in, she was, she was, her thing was always like, go to the school for, for undergrad, go to the school that gives you the most financial aid. Mm -hmm. You should not be graduating with a ton of debt for an undergraduate degree. That was her thing always. Yeah. She always was like, apply to the small private schools. They have large endowments. They have scholarships to give out. Yeah. Um, and you need to, and she was like, you need to maintain your grades in order to get those scholarships. Right. So she really ingrained that um, in me and in those of us who were in that class. But even like Ms. Cologne, who was like the student council um leader she when i got into dartmouth i was like well i don't really know if i want to go there like i really want to go to this other school mm -hmm. and she was like girl you better go to dartmouth okay like just try it out it's an ivy league school and if you don't like it i'll go pick you up <laughs> she made me that promise she's like if you don't like it i'll go pick you up um 
And just people like that who, you know, understood the system and understood the way that the world worked. I didn't understand the way that the world worked at that point where having an Ivy League school on my resume was going to open up so many doors for me. And they knew that. And they, they, they told me that they were Mm -hmm. like, it's an Ivy League school, go. And if you don't like it, then you can leave, but go, you will regret not going. Because when I told when I told my parents that I got into Dartmouth, they were they didn't know. Right. So they were like, how far is that? <laughs> Five hours in in another state? Yeah. And they're like, why don't you go to the college, you know, your sister went to? Because mm-hmm. um, my sister, my sister went to one of the city schools mm-hmm. and they were like, why don't you just go to where she went? And then you can live at home and you can stay here. You don't have to <laughs> your go Your sister away. lived at home. She lived at home. Yeah. Which she she talked about transferring every year because she wanted that experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and she also like, uh, my sister was not a citizen at the point where she applied to college. So her college application process was completely different than mine. So when I went through my college application process, I did it like, it was like brand new for me. Yeah. Um, because she had gone through a completely different experience. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, so my parents are like, like, I, I don't, I don't know. Like, and then, you know. My mom told people at work, like, oh, yeah, my daughter got into schools and she got into Dartmouth. And people were like, she got into Dartmouth? She better go there. That school is amazing. <laughs> and then my mom came home and she's like, you know, I told my boss that you got into Dartmouth and she freaked out. Like, it's a really good school, huh? <laughs> she must have been so proud. She was she was so proud, but because she, she saw this validation that she got from yeah. others. And that's not to shade her in any way because she has not gone through the education system yeah, in this country. Yeah, not from this so country. So she didn't know, but I think for, that was that was like a reflection of all the work that she put in yeah. as well. Absolutely. Um, but like for, for, you know, for other kids, I can imagine that if you're a provider for your family or if you don't have those those people that say to you like, you know, this is the way the world works and like this name is going to carry you very far in your resume. And listen, all, all the colleges, like, the, the city schools, the state schools, they're amazing too. Like they're, I'm not knocking them. Mm-hmm. Um, you have some amazing people that graduate from those um, schools. But I think that for, for, for some folks, they might have parents who like my parents are like, you know, you should just stay mm-hmm. at home. Like you don't need to go away. And, yeah. you know, I think that sometimes that can limit your opportunities. I think for them, because it's just their, their biggest dream was just getting you to college. Yeah. And so for them, it's like, got you there doesn't matter you know but having that access or even just that that resource that you said you know these these two um educators changed they changed your life Mm -hmm, they did right because you could have went a completely different route and you probably would have still been just as successful but i think that things would have been different for you as far as the things you learned and all that so that's what i'm talking about it's like one person can really change someone's life and like informing them but well, we talked about this before. We went to the same high school. Mm-hmm. I did not have that experience, right? So, like, had I been maybe one of, like, stuff was, like, top 10 in our class. If I were in that category, maybe I would have had access to that. Um, if I took myself more serious. If someone was able to tell me when I was being a dumb freshman, like, go to class, don't fuck this up. This is really going to mess up your whole high school career and it's going to bleed into your college career I think I would have seen it a little differently but I didn't have that guidance right I just kind of went a little wild there and then at some point it was too late but you know that's why I think it's so important to talk to like younger generations about this stuff like in a practical way in a practical way but sometimes like we think they're not listening but they really are like I know that when I talk to my goddaughter, as much as she doesn't want to hear me drill her about her grades and schools, when I keep it re- like one hundred percent with her about like what she wants to do, I know a small part of her is listening because she cares. You know, there's a small part of it, so I, I think you you should take those chances with the people closest to you or whoever you know is looking for that guidance or is in your space. Because you just never know. I mean, Dr. Powell told you that in a class and like... That stuck she, with me. She didn't know if you, you were listening. You were just like, oh, I'm sure you were like, okay, I'll think about it. But you listened. Yeah. And it turned out great for you. Yeah. So 
it's just great. And that goes back to your question. It's like, how is it that we went to the same high school, but we had such different journeys? And and there 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 are some answers there in regards to, you know, I had those um, you know, educators that looked out for me, like Miss Cologne looked out for me because I was I was part of student government. I said mm-hmm. student council, but a student government. Like I went, I think my first like month of high school and I was in it for four years. So she saw me like be there for four years. What made you want to do that? I don't know. But I, you see those bulletin boards? My little hand stapled all those papers and cut them in the, in the I borders. See, I used to throw and pizza she was, at those. She was strict about her bulletin boards. They could not look messy. It's so, just interesting what made you like, have you always been involved with those things like prior to high school? Um, there weren't really any extracurricular activities. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there were some extracurricular activities in, in elementary school that I participated in like yoga. <laughs> Um, yoga yoga you've been doing yoga since i went like three times um wait, because what? that's all we had wait what i went to i wasn't introduced I to, to yoga public, until college this, this like i think this person came in and did like two yoga sessions and uh, then gave up or something or three yoga sessions and then gave up i never heard you like my 10 years old doing yeah, yoga trying to go to yoga living yeah, my best you life a, you have a little mat or i didn't have a mat i didn't even know you needed a mat for yoga you were too bold I didn't even know what yoga was. I learned that. <laughs> you just showed up. You just showed up for the yoga. <laughs> yeah. Um, I lost my train of thought. Sorry, you were talking. Oh, oh about yes, yes. About your like, you went. Yeah. First month. Yeah. And and then Dr. Powell, I took that AP U.S. History course. But what was it that made me take those? Right. Like, what was it that that told my told me like you should become involved in this? You should take mm-hmm. this AP course. You should like get the best grades that you can. Well, Starting you, freshman year, take it seriously. You've been chasing that A for a long time, so that makes sense. Don't be psychologically analyzing me. But it's true. You've been chasing. Like, I get the, the schooling part. You you were an intelligent person, and your grades showed that, so it makes sense why you would go after the AP stuff. A lot of times, they would pitch you and say you should be taking the AP things. But oh, yeah. It's very interesting that the first month you went to student government. What was your job other than bulletin? Like, don't you have, like, roles? Um. So you don't have a role until your senior year. And Wait, what? Yeah. Just later? You're, you're until- a member, yeah. Okay. Um, then you're part of the board or whatever they call it. I, I don't know if I was secretary or treasurer. I was one of the two. Jesus. <laughs> well, that's cool. I mean, it, it, I'm sure it helped on your college application. It did. <laughs> but it yeah, did. we had very different experiences. And, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chalk it up to um, your involvement in your grades. Yeah. And my lack of involvement in the beginning stages of my cur- my high school career. You were and- president of Lunchroom Uno. Yeah, I was the champion of Uno. <laughs> I had lunch like eight periods. Um, but I then ended up, I was on the yearbook committee. And the Microsoft. I was on the entrepreneurial like club that joined like this microsoft youth i like i went ham after freshman year when i was like oh i fucked up i'm like yo i gotta make up for this and i just joined every, i was on softball i played basketball <laughs> i did all these things but it was unfortunately she wasn't on every club it was too late for my grades to kind of pick up um from from that semester but it was a it was a lesson uh that i never repeated again yeah. so yeah, I would say that's our long-winded answer on like yeah. the struggles. So let's talk about some of the gems, like some of the um, the things that we learned and that have carried on. And and I'll start and say um, two big things that I think are important growing up in the hood: work ethic. Mm-hmm. Um, again, like you know, fuck what politicians say. I grew up in a predominantly immigrant neighborhood, and immigrants work hard mm-hmm. hard because they don't have a lot of the securities that other people do mm-hmm. they don't know the language they're learning the language they're trying to provide for their families at least where i you know where i grew up and so they worked hard mm-hmm. to provide food for their kids to give their kids whatever they they wanted so long as they could afford it to um to like be able to give back to their families in their countries to be able to go back mm-hmm to their home countries. They worked hard and my parents worked very, very, very hard and they were very disciplined. Um, And I learned my work ethic from them, from watching how seriously they took work in their jobs and- Yeah, I agree. um, Yeah. 
And so that's one. And two is respect. Um, I see a lot of people now that don't say good morning, that mm-hmm. don't like, will, like I mentioned earlier, they will bump into you, not say anything like in the hood. You can't bump into someone and not say my bad. Yeah, you um, step on someone's sneakers, you better the, run. The new sneakers? You better run. You better run your life. Especially if they're uh, some Uptowns, a.k.a. Air Force Ones, for people who don't know what Uptowns are. Yeah. Those originated in the hood. Yeah. But yeah. Run for your life. Run for your life. <laughs> yeah, but just like manners. Yeah. Respect. Politeness. If you bump into someone, you apologize. If, you know, like, you're, you're just, you're kind to mm-hmm. people. Um. And even like I didn't, you're not arrogant. Like yeah, you're not arrogant. There's no arrogant. Like that doesn't exist. I don't. I don't see like people who grow up differently. I don't see that in them. Like, um, like I saw people in my building myself. Like there was a lot of older people that lived in my building. Um, like I would carry their groceries up the stairs, or they would carry their groceries up the stairs. Like don't worry about it. I would say if I saw people who lived in the like we were going up and down the stairs or down the street, like you always said hi. Mm-hmm. Not like I went to college and then people started doing this thing where like we would have class together and we would work on a project, and then I would see them outside in the street or in the hallway, and they would look the other way, and I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, this like lack of respect that yeah. I just can't. I can't like. That shit will get you jumped because how can you pretend that you don't know somebody? <laughs> yeah, you get called out on that shit like on blast if you ever did Yeah, that. like who do you think you are? <laughs> Yo, people still do that. That shit irks me at work when people do that shit. That Just is- say hi. It doesn't cost... Say good morning. Yeah. Say have a good night to everyone. Yeah. Like... Yeah. And that, that might be a Latinx thing where, like, if you come into a room and you don't say hi to people, it might you, be a Latinx you're, thing, but I think you're it's rude. A, yeah, I, I guess it gets blended in for me because we grew up around mm-hmm. other Latinx. And, yeah. Yeah, all of those things. I think street smarts is a big one for yeah. me. Just, like, knowing how to stay in your lane, knowing, like, even now, I live in, we live in San Francisco and, like, we live in a very safe neighborhood and I'll go watch back, like walk Baxter. And I'm constantly like looking who's behind me, who's ahead of me. I'm looking the way, like, how would I like escape if somebody attacked me? Like this all happens in a matter of 10 seconds in my head. Like it doesn't matter where I am day or night. I have an escape plan because like, (laughs) it's just being smart, like being respectful and like not putting yourself in like dangerous situations. Um, How to navigate ambiguity. Oh, that's yeah. like a huge one, right? Like so much unexpected things have happened to me um, in my life, specifically in my time in Washington Heights that, yo, I, I'm ready for anything. Like if, if, if something came up, I probably have already been through it or I have a tool from a time that it happened and I can turn that yeah. into how to navigate that in, in the new scenario. Um you know, I, I learned how to like kind of had a hard how to have a hard exterior and like not show all my cards. Sometimes yeah. that plays against me because I, you know, I kind of seem emotionalist. But um, I think that that was a good tool to have. Like that, w- that was a survival in the hood. Like yeah. you couldn't show your emotions. You had to be kind of tough and like be on your game, which then leads into sarcasm. Like, yeah. Sorry, like I, I just remember learning about sarcasm and just how to navigate that. And over time, I was just like, I have to get good at this because that is the way we communicate in the hood. To like, cut some ass, you gotta, you, you gotta be ready to like come at somebody because people are coming for your life. I don't mean that, like, yes, I mean that kind of, um, literally. Like sometimes they are, but I mean like joking on you yeah. and you know trying to make you feel silly or whatever you cannot come at me without me i already have 10 things on you the minute you try to like joke on my outfit or whatever and and you have to be ready and some people that you know i meet that are not from like these neighborhoods um they They don't know how to take it they don't know how to take it and some people are like why are you being so mean and i'm like i was just joking it's kind of like a the moment that you say something to one of us you you started a tennis match like i'm gonna kick it right back oh it's over yeah yeah I do I do want to touch upon something that that you mentioned because I think that ties into growing up in the hood but also um being first gen. Um 
And it is, I think that you take a person from the hood or and a first gen person and you put them in some of like the most prestigious jobs or whatever. And not the ones that like, obviously not a doctor or, mm -hmm. you know, the ones that need like highly specialized training. And I think that they can excel at that job. But mm -hmm. we've created these constructs that you need to have the degree mm -hmm. from the certain school that yeah. says that you're smart. But like, I was a translator for my mom at the age of like 10. Yeah. When she would be like, what, what are they saying? What does that mean? A yoga translator? Wow. Stop. I've never. <laughs> you're <an idiot. laughs> yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. And, and you or like helping them figure out things. You mentioned this. It's like, I mean, there's so many, there's a list of things that we did as like, kids that you know made us grow up very fast in that respect helping our parents but you say this all the time to like me or our friends it's like don't let people get it twisted like you're walking into these white ass spaces but you're just as smart if not smarter because you grew up in spaces that you had to navigate ambiguity. you didn't have a script you didn't have a script you had to work with the bare minimum you had to be scrappy you had to fight for your life sometimes yeah you have to be creative you had to, you you had to be eager you had to hustle you had to yeah you had to work to get it done and so oftentimes what we've lacked is the script right mm -hmm. is the the vernacular that you need to like navigate predominantly white spaces mm -hmm. um the the credentials that you need to be able to get into these spaces mm -hmm. but at the point where it's not like a oh here do a plus b and it's going to give you c when it's just like mm -hmm. we don't know what's going on you know, people from the hood could figure that shit out because that's all we've done mm -hmm. we figured things out mm -hmm. there's a certain level of intelligence that you're that you're taught um, or that you develop when you don't have a script, when you don't have a backup in a mm -hmm. way, when you don't have things handed to you, when you literally got to go and grab that shit. Mm -hmm. There's a level of intelligence that you have that is unmatched to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, just being what I was saying and just like being quick on your feet and coming at people like that is a skill. That is a skill to have. Not that you should be going into meetings and cutting ass. <laughs> on like, hey, what's up with that haircut? You know what I mean? Like but, but it's like things like that yeah. that honestly for me have kind of helped me in my career in some ways where I've, I've built rapport with people, yeah. mostly men who shit on each other and don't think that I can handle it. And then I come at their life with like a joke and then they're literally in shock when and they're like... them at the court after for a couple, shoot a couple hoops. Oh my God. Like... The amount of jokes that I have told on some of these fools, like I, I laugh just thinking about it because they don't, they'd never expected me to have it. They never expected me to be able to come back at it or they'd go like light on me and like not want to joke. I'm like, no, you can joke on me. Just be able to handle it when I come back for you. Um, so I love that you brought that up because I think that that's super important in yeah. regards to knowing your value and knowing that you have a skill set that not a lot of people have. And just because it doesn't have, isn't tied to a degree or a certain education doesn't mean it's not valuable. Or isn't on a job description. Yeah. Right? Like, that doesn't mean that you don't have what it takes to excel in that role. You know what you should do? You should become an official job description translator to hood terms. <laughs> Because sometimes we'll be like helping someone look at a job description and then Steph will be like, yep, you've done that. You grew up here and you started a gang or you did this. That shows your leadership skills. Entre <laughs> uh, an entrepreneurial uh, attitude. I'm like, you started a gang and you grew that gang. You scaled. You scaled. <laughs> you, you were you, a leader. You started the... You launched, you launched a men's organization <laughs> in the neighborhood and were able to successfully scale. You came up with a playbook. For something that didn't exist. You came up with funding. You were HR, you were VC, the CEO. basically. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of it, you were a venture capitalist at the age of 14. Like, this is what Steph does. She will take a job description and literally... And it's funny, but it's also true. You know, like, that is not necessarily what we're taught to, like, talk about in job interviews or when we're pitching ourselves. But maybe it is. Maybe it is. Or maybe it's something that you do like think about before going into these conversations with anyone and saying, fuck that. I belong at this table. I mean, for, for some, particularly when I talk to my 
like my male um, uh, friends of color, I'm like, yo, you had all the odds against you. All of them. Mm-hmm. All of them. You went to school. You went to college. You've worked at like some amazing companies. So why can't, look at this one little bullet point. Yeah. And this job, like that's nothing. That's yeah. a piece of cake. When you've been able to even still be alive. Mm-hmm. When you have everything against you, yeah, that job description, it's nothing. It's a piece of cake. Yeah, people are going to be out here listening to this episode, applying to be biomedical engineers, <laughs> writing a cover letter, just basically saying exactly what you just said. Yeah. Which fuck that? Yeah, do it, do it. I, I think we should actually mock up a job description with what we just talked about. <laughs> I think that that would be really funny. Um, but yeah, all those things, and then I think lastly for me, the most like the thing that I'm most grateful for um is how humble I came out of the hood and also how straight up people in the hood are like New one I haven't been to every city in the world but New York is the best city in the world to me it will period always take the cake for me and so much goes into that around um opportunity diversity um culture culture just the grit and all that but what i love the most the most about new york is that they're so like new yorkers are so straight fucking up you you literally know where you stand with a new yorker when you meet them the first time the last time whenever you know where you stand there's no in between they're very straightforward about how they feel about you the relationship hey we're gonna be friends no we're not gonna be friends cool moving on yeah if they don't like you you know they don't like you i've been to a lot of different places and i've met a lot of different people where i stay confused (laughs) after meeting them because i'm not sure because sometimes to that point it's like you're working on a project with them or in a meeting and you're all like fun you know all friendly and shit and then you see them in the street or you know in the hallway and they pretend they don't know you that shit will get you jumped in new york yeah you know what i mean so that has been something has been really difficult for me to navigate as an adult um, because not everyone's like that. And I think that that's the, the hustler, that's the environment that New York just gives you. It's like, there is no time to pretend to be someone else because you have to fucking hustle to like make it. You have to hustle to survive. You have to hustle to make a living. You have to like, there is no fucking time. Yeah. And that can work in 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 a good way and in a bad way because you kind of can't be present. But I am so grateful that I have that 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 quality in me because it's helped me become who I am, and it's also helped me just be straightforward with how I feel. And some people don't like that, but I love that about myself. Yeah. So that's what I gotta say on that, and that's what I'm gonna that's end that on that. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Thanks, everyone. That was fun. Hopefully you learned a little bit about New York City and the, in, in the borough of Manhattan and the neighborhoods of Harlem and Washington Heights and many others in Manhattan. Remember, they're in Manhattan. In Manhattan. Um, and hopefully you'll visit there. They won't really not all these places they will look be the, the same, same, but um, they're near and dear in, uh, in our hearts. So I'm glad we could shed some light on the places that help make us who we are. So. Till next time. Bye. Peace.